0: listening to Board Game Bitch. I'm your host, Victoria Fraser, and we're going to talk about all things board games. Let's get started. Welcome back again, everybody. I've got a special guest this episode. She is fantastic. Uh, She birthed me Uh, And she also gave me my love of board games. Uh, Before we get into what the game is, although I've alluded to it before, uh, let me introduce you my fine and lovely mother, Donna. (laughs) Hello, world. (laughs) It's making her podcast debut. Awesome. She's so good. I love you. So yeah, today's episode, we're going to talk about one of my favorite board games, also one of my mom's favorite board games, which is why I thought she had to be here with me today, Uh, Betrayal. at the house on the hill which I always call it betrayal at the house on the hill but it's betrayal at house on the hill I don't know why I always add an extra of the fun facts about me <laughs> Hi mom how are you doing today
1: doing great I love you picked this game I really love this one
0: yeah you do that's why I, I was like I need to do this also it's it's fun to have my mom on the podcast you haven't done podcasts before obviously you don't listen to them do
1: you no radio replays.
0: Yes. Yeah. Radio plays are good. Um, There's a lot of podcasts that are like radio dramas. Maybe I'll get you into those sometime. Um, anyways, there's also D&D ones. You'd love those. Oh my goodness, mom. I have so many recommendations. We'll talk later. Okay.
1: Insert spooky music right here. All right. Actually, there is, uh,
0: is this the game or is it a different one that has a soundtrack? There is a board game that has a spooky music soundtrack, but I don't think it's this one. I think it's a different board game. That's yeah, that was not this or else I would remember that anyways. So what is Petroial at House on the Hill? It is a board game that was published in 2004 by Avalon Hill Games. Uh, the board game designers, there was a, a group of them that made it, but the main ones were Bruce Glasgow and a couple others. Uh, they created this awesome exploration horror game, uh, which basically, if you've seen the horror movie Cabin in the Woods, it's that. It's it's that movie in a board game, which is hilarious. Mom, have you seen that scary movie? No. Oh, man. Okay. That's something you should watch then. It's not that scary. Uh, um, it's more like a comedy horror movie as opposed to like an actual horror movie where depending on the objects that the kids pick in this cabin, it triggers like a different scenario, which if you see the movie, if you played the game, you know exactly how that relates. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the mechanics about that are in this game and, and how they work and what they are. So first we have um, the uh, sort of a new term. This is a team-based game, which means that some players are working against the other players on teams. Uh, it's a trader style game in that sense, where at one point, one player is the trader and the others are working as a team against the trader. It's cooperative in that the, not the traders, but the other players are working together towards a common goal, but it's also not cooperative because obviously the trader has his own goals, his or her or their own goals, and they want to win as well. So it's more of a team-based game than a cooperative game. So I thought this was a good episode to bring that distinction into the world. Cause you know, There's a lot of game mechanics out there, and sometimes they sound the same, but they might be slightly different. Another uh, game mechanic in this board game is the secret information. So essentially, at one point in the game, uh, there's a traitor. At the start, nobody knows who it is. And then halfway through, um, it's revealed. So there's sort of a level of mystery towards it, which is kind of cool. Another mechanic, which I have not actually discussed before, because we haven't had any games where this happened, is player elimination. So you can die, <laughs> you can get kicked out of the board game and then you don't get to play anymore. Not so fun. Nobody likes player elimination, but you know, it's a mechanic that obviously exists. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later and sort of my opinions on it as a mechanic. Um, another. Uh, interesting mechanic that this board game has is tile laying. It has a modular board that you create as you go. Uh, there's a lot of games that use tile laying. Mom, one of your other four favorite board games that I know of that comes comes to mind is Caricazone. Yeah, I knew that you would say that. I was like, I know exactly what she's going to think when I say this. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the first family game we played, really, that I can think of, other than Dice, when I was
1: like four. Oh, you've forgotten about Labyrinth.
0: Yeah, we played Labyrinth, but I don't remember playing it. I've seen the box a million times, but I can't honestly remember ever playing it.
1: Well, it kind of got pushed aside because we've got so many other of, of these new <laughs> games out now.
0: We have a lot of games. It's true. This is where my love of board games came from. Everyone, my delightful mother. She's the best. I'm so excited. I'm gonna have to bring you on other episodes too. Um, anyway, <laughs> I can't pay you, but. <laughs> All right, so one more mechanic we'll get into, which we've discussed many times, is the variable player abilities or um, characters. Every single character uh, in the game has slightly different abilities and traits, like like strengths and weaknesses. Um, the very strong macho character is obviously strong and mighty. He's got high might stats and speed, I think. Uh, the older gentleman, the professor um, and priest character, he's got more intelligence and wisdom makes sense because he's like a professor. Um, So those aren't too important in this game, but when you pick a character at the beginning, they do have slightly different abilities uh, by default. So that's just something else to note. Variable player mechanics, super interesting, super common in a lot of games. We've gone over that before. All right. So that was sort of what the game is and how it works. Now let's talk about how to play. The game is split into two parts. Uh, There's the exploration phase in the beginning, And then there's the haunt phase that is triggered halfway through where things get a little weird. (laughs) Um, In the game, you have the characters. Everyone picks a different character at the start. And I think there's like five or six tops, just a couple. And again, as I said, they all have variable stats, but generally they're fairly well balanced. So I wouldn't worry too much about, you know, picking the little girl or the, I don't know, creepy fortune Chick. <laughs> They're cool. They all have really interesting backgrounds. I really like that. And we'll go into the story elements and creative aspects of this game at the end. Of the characters, they have four stats, which are speed, might, sanity, and wisdom. Speed is your movement stat. That's what decides how much you can move, how far. Uh, because you, as I said, there's tile laying. So when you go to each room in the house, that is one movement, because you put out a tile, like a new room tile, as one movement. Uh, your might, speed, your might stat is the attack stat. So in the second half of the game, uh, you can now kill each other, <laughs> usually just the traitor, not each like yourselves because, you know, you're on a team. But before the second half, you can't hurt each other at all because there's no reason to attack each other because you don't know if anyone's against you yet. The other stats are sanity and wisdom. These are both mental stats and... You know They're both equally important, but they don't really have any distinct differences between them, except for the type of role that you're making based on like cards and rooms that you're in that are telling you to do things. So you might use sanity to prevent yourself from going insane because there's blood on the walls. You might use wisdom to decide, I don't know, some other thing. Someone is attacking me with a Bible. It's just, I forget. <laughs> anyway, yeah, those are the four stats on your character card, and that's what dictates which how many dice you'll roll, depending on certain scenarios. Oh, the other thing is the stats will help you. at certain parts of the house are more dangerous than others. So maybe you're in a room where there's no floor, so you need to not fall through the floor. A little bit of Jumanji going on, um, that kind of thing. Anyway, so there's also tiles. The tiles are split into three kind of uh, parts of the house. There is the basement, there is the main floor, and then there's the upper floor. Um, and I'm going to talk a little later on about the different types of tiles on the different floors, because there is some strategy, which I did not realize, which is really interesting here. Uh, but in my research, I found some cool stuff. Mom, you would be excited to know that stuff that I'm going to talk about later, but not now. Yeah. Don't
1: go to the, (laughs) don't go to the basement. You're going to get stuck
0: there. (laughs) Don't go to the basement. That's my mom's advice. There you go. Anyway. Um, so the tiles, you lay them down as you're exploring and you pretty much keep moving until you draw a card and then you have to stop in the first half of the game, anyways. Um, I guess that applies to the too. Anyway, uh, the types of cards that you could draw are event cards, omen cards, and item cards. Event cards are uh, mostly just storytelling. Sometimes they can benefit you if you roll really well. Most of the time, because it's a haunted house, bad things are happening. So you don't usually do too well when a bad event happens. So you know, just keep that in mind. That's just how the game is. Uh, another card is the omen cards, they are the cards that will trigger a haunt roll, which I'll explain shortly, uh, but they're generally an item card that is important to the second half of the game. Uh, finally, there's the item cards that are normal item cards, there's no haunt roll they're just awesome shit that you can put in your pocket that you can use later, which are great everyone likes items right. I honestly wish there was more item cards, but anyway. Alright, so finally, as I mentioned, there's a haunt, the omens trigger a haunt roll which triggers the haunt phase. So if there are more omen cards on the table that are revealed, then you roll on the haunt roll, the haunt is triggered. So if there's one omen, even one omen, and you roll, roll flat zero on all your dice, you trigger the haunt phase. Um, This has happened with us before. It is not great when that happens, but it does. Um, And at that point, the game completely changes. You're no longer all cooperative you have to take out the two different types of books that exist. There are uh, called the the survival guide, I think, and the trader's tome. And you read the different rules. You know, the trader goes into a different room and all the, you know, regular people stay in the room <laughs> and they read essentially how to win, uh, which changes every time. So normally I get to tell you in the episode how to win the game as part of the rules, but I can't tell you how to win because every single scenario is completely different. Sometimes you're trying to, prevent your boyfriend from marrying your friend's husband sometimes your aunt is trying to murder you and you're just trying to throw a cannibal feast sometimes your sister is trying to kill your family with an army of squirrels it really depends
1: <laughs> that's my favorite one my favorite i'll never forget that one that was a good time i oh, i knew yeah. i knew you would enjoy that throwback that was literally like
0: only a month or two ago <laughs> Good memories. Um, so yeah, the how to win or lose kind of comes up halfway through the game when you're trying to fulfill some sort of mission, which could be um, as simple as trying to kill the other, guy, other side, you know, or something more complex, like fulfilling a virtual and getting certain items throughout the house and, you know, doing that in a room. Uh, it's a haunted house game with 50 different haunted scenarios. I can't tell you how to win because there's 50 different endings. That would take me an hour at least. Anyway, I haven't even played all of them, to be honest. I played the game probably like 20 or 30 times by now, but I definitely haven't played every single scenario yet. Um, there's just so many. One day. Now we'll come into the more fun part where me and my mom get to talk about why we love it and why we don't so love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is this is the good stuff. Um, oh, I yeah. have a lot of list of reasons here that I love this game. Um, I... First, just have to start with the creativity. There is so much fantastic storytelling. Like the writers that worked on the event cards, every single event card is just so fun to read aloud. And it really puts you in the scene and the setting. For example, one time, and I can't believe this happened in the same game, but I had a card where there was my reflection in a mirror and I saw myself, but myself was my future self. And she gave me an item to keep from the future. Later on... In that same game, I pulled a different card where I saw my past self in a mirror and I gave the past self the item that I never got to use. <laughs> it was so upsetting. I didn't use it. I think it was a one time use thing. If I just used it, I would have been fine and it wouldn't have felt so sad, but I didn't get to use it. So I ended up in this kind of, you know, time loop where I was just, you know, getting the item, passing it to myself, getting the item. Like, I, anyway, so silly, but that's hilarious and that's awesome. So, There's tons of cool story elements that happen as you're reading the event cards and playing the game. And each scenario is just, I mean, they're based on lots of pop culture references too. There's like a Saw version of of the scenarios. Um, There's lots of really weirdly specific ones, like a giant cat tries to eat everyone because you get shrunk to really tiny creatures. So many, so many different stories going on. So yeah, number one, creativity. I think, Mom, you could agree on that one. That's like a great aspect of this game.
1: Oh yeah, my best my best one that I remember is is when uh do you remember when the, the um the accent had to be carried through? Oh yeah, she committed the whole time. Oh she was awesome. The right person got that role. It was so <laughs> well done.
0: Yeah, last time we played, my uh brother's girlfriend, shout out to
1: April. <laughs> she got to be
0: she got to be like an evil leprechaun. And so she just put on an Irish accent the whole game as we kept trying to steal her pot of gold, which we did. In the end, um, sorry, April slash Leprechaun, April. <laughs> oh, and then do you remember the very first time the dog showed up? Or- I am going to talk about the dog later because I'm so mad that there is no that the dog thing. Anyway, yes. So that's a big one. Creativity, the storytelling is phenomenal in this game. Um, another aspect of the game, which I'm sure you're not surprised by, because I kind of said it already, is the replayability. There is 50 different scenarios in this game. That means I have to play it a minimum of 50 times to have experienced the full wonderfulness that is this game. I have not even done that yet. And I played it a lot um, and that's awesome. I think that that's so cool and so unique and so different. Like they could have gone with like 25 or 30 and that would have alone been impressive, um, but they committed. Um, we'll get into maybe why that could also be a reason I don't so love it, but that'll be in the next section. Overall, though, super replayable, super engaging and interesting. A unique experience every time. 10 out of 10. So, so great. And also, like, some scenarios I want to play multiple times because, like, I'd love to play it as the traitor instead of, you know, the group of survivors or vice versa, you know? Um, another really common review I read online was that people really like this game because it kind of feels like a really easy way to throw, like, a murder
1: mystery party, you know? Have you ever been to one of those, Mom? No. Really? I'm shocked. No. It seems like something you would have. Done. Uh, I I did go once to that play though, um where it was a, a wedding, d- yeah. a dinner party wedding. Oh. Uh, I can't. Yeah. So, so when we went up to the restaurant, they they welcomed us instead of like, what's your reservation? It's oh, you're the Frasers, come f- <laughs> from from Vancouver for the for the wedding on the bride's side. Oh, that's and, cute. And then so it was dinner theater after that, right? Nice. Well, that's cool. Yeah, kind of similar. Yeah, I've
0: never actually hosted. I think I've, I've never hosted a dinner party like a murder mystery, but I've definitely been to some, and I did them in Girl Guides. Actually, my one Girl Guide leader was really into them. So yeah, if you like murder mystery parties, this board game totally falls in that same category. Um, another reason I love it: no setup time. You're just you put you pick your character, you put down the three main tiles, which are the different like upper landing, the main landing, and like the basement, and you just start. It's great. It's awesome. I love when there's like no setup time. You just play the game. And then finally, I really like the artwork. Um, I think it's kind of spooky, kind of fun. The cards are like, got that like creepy text on them. Um, yeah, the rooms are kind of fun to look at. Like the details in the room tiles are interesting. There's a board game room in the game which also makes me so happy. <laughs>
1: uh, what about the laboratory? How many houses have a laboratory? It's a creepy haunted house, mom, that's why.
0: It's su- super interesting. I think the artwork really, um, really does a good job of capturing the creativity of the story elements. Mentioned at the beginning. One other, last thing, actually, it's also the mechanics kind of mirror the theme of the game as well. So the tile laying and the exploration really fits with, you know, I'm going to 100 House and I don't know what it, what to expect. It could be anything. Like there's a room that I think that just is called like a bloody room. You know, creepy, awesome, dig it, super, super terrifying. Um, yeah. So I really like when mechanics in games fit with the theme and the play of it, essentially, if that makes sense. I've kind of mentioned it before, but is a really cool game. It's a really great game. My mom loves it. I love it. I can't wait till I have played it like 20 more times Then I'll hopefully have done every scenario by then. But it does have its flaws because this is a board game podcast. We review board games and I gotta critique things. <laughs> mom, do you know what the show's called? Have I told you? No, you haven't actually. It's called it's called The Board Game
1: Bitch. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I'll have to lecture you on that and get the bar soap out.
0: I would like I do put a little asterisk in it online so that it's board game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be cruel. I'm sorry. I'm just being realistic. It's only fair. Um so here's the reasons that this game maybe falls a little flat. There are very different rules and mechanics on each scenario. So as much as it's very easy to get started and play the game at the beginning, in the second half of the game, once the haunt phase is triggered. It is completely different and that makes it very hard for players to learn if it's their first time, like if they're totally new and they don't know what's going on, it's just all of a sudden the game completely changes. So when you're teaching it to someone who's never played before in the very beginning, it's no problem. Oh, just go explore some rooms and pick up some items. Anyone can do that.
1: And yeah, the biggest weakness to that is if the haunt starts early, it's such a letdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
0: definitely a problem. Um. So yeah, I think it can be a little bit... um tricky if you're playing for the first time to learn how to play because the rules also kind of can sometimes um be completely different from the rules you're told at the start so I actually don't usually tell people how to attack each other because you can't attack each other in the first half of the game um it's just one of the rules and then I kind of throw that out there at the end and I'm like okay here's how to attack each other but it might not be what the rule book says because the haunt kind of dictates that. Sometimes the traders have special abilities. Sometimes the players get new abilities. It's so unpredictable that it's very difficult to teach someone the default rules when the rules count, you know, go against themselves at some point. Yeah. And so that's one of my issues with it. Um, another common issue actually in a lot of board game reviews and things that I've seen in general is the lack of balance. Um, and I've experienced that. I'm sure you have mom. Um, like, do you remember the very, one of the earlier scenarios I think we ever played was the time one where, um, I think Alex was some sort of time wizard, and everyone was aging. And you had the old guy character, and you oh. died. you died in like one turn. There was it was just bad luck. Yeah, well,
1: I was the oldest one at the at the table anyway to start with.
0: <laughs> I mean that too, but yeah, 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 um, yeah. Unbalanced there with like you know some scenarios or a bad character choice, so just bad luck can happen, and you're completely toast.
1: <laughs> it's not so fun. In my in my experience, um, it's the kind of game where you need to have more than one person who knows the game to introduce new people to it, because I took it to uh, an event with a bunch of people from work and I had it all laid out on the table, ready to go. And as soon as they saw all of the, the books and all of the pieces, they said, no, we don't want to play. So that was it. <laughs> So we, we played bang instead and they loved that because they got to shoot each other, which is perfect for coworkers
0: to be fair. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Um, bang is another good game. I haven't done that one yet. That'll come up shortly. I'm sure. But yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. I think it's a game that you want not everyone to be learning for the first time because they're just going to be so confused. Like the rule books, there's three rule books, the default rules, the Trader's Tome, the survival guide guide, I think. Um, you don't necessarily use everything in those books. You use one page from the tome in the survival's guide, a survivor guide. But you know, if you've never played the game, you don't know that. So it looks like a very intimidating game to learn. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a fault in it as well. Um, another issue is the strategy, or lack thereof. <laughs> um, I will go into some strategies at the end because I like to talk strategy in my board game podcast. But there just is not a lot of it. Um, you know. The more the map is revealed usually the worse the trader's chances are of winning um the trader generally loses most of the time we've played not every time but quite often i've played the trader doesn't win um so it does seem like the game is stacked against them or maybe we just the dice tends to roll later on and so the trader usually has more more of an advantage when less of the house is explored um that's just a thing i like strategy in my board games I'll explain why this game, I will make some exceptions, but yeah, there's not really that much strategy in this game. It's just for a lot of board gamers, we play games because we like to, you know, use our brain muscles and this is not a game that will let you do that. <laughs> um, there's also a lack of transparency between the good guys and the bad guys, or like the trader and the regular people, uh, which is interesting because I was reading some reviews about it and I thought, I I can see their complaints in it, but I understand why the designers couldn't do that. So when the hunt is triggered, the trader has a goal and you know, the heroes have a goal. They don't know how to win the game on the other side. They only know how to win the game on their, from their point of view, which makes sense in the real world. If you were a bad person in a haunted house, trying to kill some adventurers, you probably wouldn't know what they're going to do to spoil your plans and vice versa. I. I can see why people don't like it because it makes it difficult to understand what you can say and what you can't say. Um, But I also, I personally like that mechanic because if I'm the traitor, I kind of have to work harder to see what the heroes are doing and what, how their powers work and how they're attacking me. So there's kind of like a little bit of deduction going on and I do like trying to figure that out. So I have no issue with that, but other reviews that I've seen online have had problems. I don't know how you feel about that, mom, but.
1: No, I agree because the whole point of the game is is it's a haunted house. And what's a haunted house? It's a mystery. So you have to have something that's a mystery involved in the in the mechanics of the game. There you go.
0: So yeah, there's both of our opinions on that matter. Um, so because there's no strategy, this is sort of just an extension of that point from earlier, but uh there's a strong luck factor in that there's dice rolling. Dice don't always agree with what you want to do. And yeah, yeah end- tell
1: that to tell that to Alex. Remember when he could just couldn't get The dice to have any spots. That was so funny. Yeah, yeah, it happens.
0: They're dice. Dice do what they want. They don't do what you want them to do. They never do. (laughs) Um, Also, another reason for the luck factor is trying to find the items that you need or the room in time. Sometimes if the trader gets triggered very early on, you don't even have the tools you need to beat them. And you have to spend turn after turn trying to find the room in the house to accomplish
1: the goal to win. So that's kind of unlucky if that happens. And also, oh, go ahead. Yeah, especially if what you need is in the basement and you're in the attic.
0: Yeah, it's not fun when that happens, especially if you have a character that
1: has like no speed
0: and it just takes you forever to get there. (laughs) Not so fun. Um, And then also you might die very quickly. You know, sometimes it's bad luck and you get eliminated early on just because the traitor is right beside you. And then you're like, oh, I've been killed. Now I have nothing to do bummer. Um, not great. Not great with that for the luck factor. Another issue is sort of this is pretty minor, but I would say the game has a bit of an unpredictable length. It can be a pretty short game that takes an hour. It could be a longer game that takes 2
1: hours. <laughs> and if you're just learning, times it by 2. Always always double it. That's true.
0: I don't think it's the worst game for that and a lot of games can have a bit of a, you know, leeway, but because the hunt gets triggered kind of randomly it, it can sometimes take a lot longer and it's not such a short game. I don't mind long games. I've played Gloomhaven and other very, very intense board games before. So I don't really mind, but you know, if you do want something a little lighter, it's not a good game for that.
1: Yeah, long games is in your genes there, girl, because that's where board games started in our family. We were play, playing Monopoly as a kid and my mom was in the thick of it, to so your grandmother, and we'd be like, it's 4 a.m. and we're still not done. We're, we're still going at it. And, oh, and, and your, and your uncle Gord is the worst for being, being the banker and hoarding everything.
0: <laughs> that's so cute. I am so proud. I like to joke people to people that I'm like a third generation board gamer. Cause like, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually get to meet your mom, my grandma, but you know, she played lots of bridge and stuff like that too. Right. Like other card
1: games. Oh, she, oh, Canasta was, was the, the mm-hmm. game, the go-to game.
0: That, that's what it was. Canasta. So there you go. Games are just in my blood. I was destined to be the board game bitch. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, uh, yeah, yeah. I saw you know. that when you were two, you were, you were in the terrible two stage and uh, everybody warned me. I was, I was in for it when you grew up because I liked board games. No, no, no. You were a terrible too. Oh, yeah. Oh, now I'm just a terrible 25. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway,
0: um, one last complaint of this game. I actually don't totally agree with this entirely, except for one thing. Uh, but other people have pointed out that uh, the components are kind of not amazing. That the card quality or like the tiles are not amazing. I don't honestly know what they're talking about. I think the tile quality is fine. Card quality, card stock actually has some texture to it, which is nice. But there is no dog miniature, and that is a sin. That is insane. How there is a dog item in the game so you have a little dog he can go on the board and he picks up items for you but the dog token is a little stupid circle it's just a 2d circle well yeah it's like a little it's terrible yeah it's a disc of cardboard it stinks they couldn't have made a little tiny dog token ridiculous so i'm very mad about the lack of dog token miniature uh situation And I think they could have done better, to be honest.
1: Now I know what to get you for your birthday. (laughs) I'm going to get you a little dog. It has to be the perfect size for the game, though, Mom. Can't be like a dollar store dog. Yeah, you can't be a King kong size one as big as the table? No, that's too big. (laughs) That would be a real dog.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, the component quality, I think, is pretty fine. But the lack of dog miniature is, is absurd. And I will... Be sad forever. In the third edition, they better fix that. Are you listening to me, Avalon Hill Games? You you better fix that. <laughs> I will send this to you. I don't care if you listen to it. I'm gonna rally everyone on Twitter. And we're gonna complain until we get our dog manager, over Finally, we come to the last part of this the board game, uh, which is strategies. Now, sort of based on the lack of strategy I mentioned earlier, this is not gonna be especially long, but there are some things you can do to sort of make your experience better in the game. Um, One person pointed out online, and actually I've noticed this myself, is to avoid long hallways. If you get stuck, like if you've gone like three tiles in a row and you just made hallway after hallway after hallway, it might be wise to turn around (laughs) and just just quit. There's no point, especially if you don't have a lot of speed. Um, The game really favors being able to move around quickly to accomplish your goals, to run away from the bad guys and the monsters or if you are the bad guy, the monsters to be able to get towards the players and attack them. You want to be able to move and a long hallway is not a good place to be in a horror movie or in this horror board game. You don't want to do that. I assume you agree. Yes, please. There you go. Thanks mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, another, a couple different pieces of advice, which are awesome. I learned this information from a really cool blog called startinbeeples.com So shout out to them because they had these really cool infographics based on Things that they learned when they like kind of took the game apart and analyzed it aggressively. And it's really interesting is that um, different parts of the house have different types of room cards with like a certain percentage are more leaning towards what they do than others. So, one of the uh, advice pieces of advice I can give you is to collect item cards. And apparently, those item card rooms tend to be more common in the basement, according to that website. So, going to the basement to get items is a great thing in the beginning of the game. Um, Another thing to know is to boost your stats because, you know, you want to have stronger mental health or physical health uh, to be able to outwit the traitor or outwit the heroes if you're the traitor. And apparently more of the mental stat boosting and physical stat boosting cards are in the upper floor. So going to, you know, the roof, I don't know about the roof because that's an expansion, Um, but definitely the upper landing. Apparently those rooms have more boosting abilities, which is super important. And then finally, movement. This is another thing that you want to be able to do is move around. And most of the places that allow you to move are found on the ground floor. Um, so the mystic elevator, the collapsed room, lots of different rooms. The Most of them are in the ground floor. This is just based on statistics from that website of which floor, which floor has which thing. So obviously it's not true 100%, but overall the tendency is towards that. So shout out again to them. Awesome website. Awesome statistics. And
1: wow, that must have taken them hours to do the research on that and like super cool. They must have played a lot of times because because the the tiles, as you're building it, every game is unique. It's always different. So they must have had to play it a lot of times to see that statistic show up. Well, I think they probably played
0: it a lot. And I think they might have just taken the pieces and like mathed out on some paper, like, okay, this you know, this types of cards and what they do and the percentage. I feel like they could do it without having to play it a lot, but they probably also played it a lot just because it's a great game. (laughs) But yeah, the only other piece of advice I can give you really is uh, I will say this actually. There's one more piece. There's a couple other pieces that most of them aren't really advice. They're just things that would be an ideal scenario like, you know, explore as much of the house as you can, but you can't, you know, you don't know when the haunt's going to get triggered, so that doesn't really help you Um, If the enemies are around, affecting their movement is good because you slow people down when they have to move through you because that costs an extra movement to move past an enemy. But again, that's in the haunt phase, which some haunt phases, that doesn't matter. But the last piece of advice that I can give you is to not stick together, which is counter to other reviews I've seen online, which said to stick together because you should be a team. I disagree. I completely disagree because you do not know if you were the traitor or if your mom is the traitor, (laughs) or if anybody else is the traitor, if you're beside the person who ends up being the traitor or ends up being a hero and you're the traitor and the hunt triggers, that's bad news for one of you. So I actually think you should not stay together in the exploring phase. And in general, I think a lot of people, I mean, we seem to do that in our family. We all kind of go all over the place in the game. And I think that's been pretty favorable because, you know, if the, Traders on the, the roof and then one person's in the basement and the I you know the item or the ritual that you have to fulfill to win the goal is in the basement, you know, we've got to leg up. Um and also I remember the first couple of times we did play this game. I think I was it was in the cannibal version with Auntie Heather was beside me and I was the cannibal trader trying to throw a cannibal party as you do. And <laughs> my first and only cannibal party. Just just being clear. So yeah, I was trying to Eat everyone, (laughs) and I had monsters that were my servants to help me. And I was right beside Auntie Heather, and she just murdered me with an axe and cold blood, like two turns in. Oh, it was sad. I did not get to do anything because I got killed because I was right beside someone else who did not agree with my philosophy of humans are tasty. (laughs) (laughs) So don't stick together. It's every person for themselves in this game. It's a haunted house come on, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, I, I would like to disagree with the reviews that I said saw online that said that. Anyway, that's more or less everything that I have to discuss today. Uh Thanks for listening to another li- delightful episode of the Board Game Podcast and supporting the Gabe Goblins on Patreon because that's pretty much the only way you can hear it. Mom, is there anything you'd like to say to all, I don't know, one of my fans?
1: Yeah, go play character zone. I love that <laughs> one too.
0: Okay, so we learned today that Betrayal at House in the Hill is a great game, and that my mom is coming back for the Zone episode.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, Caracasone is great because you can actually play it online on, my, on your iPad.
0: All right, that's everything for today, guys. Thanks for listening. If you like Board Game Bitch, then go follow the social media. I have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you can't find it, try typing board game BTCH because sometimes I am censored. (laughs) So anyways, thanks for listening. I will be going on a brief hiatus after this, possibly bringing on some extra people and doing some more fun stuff like the interviews in the future. But yeah, in general, it's going to be great. Thank you hugely to my delightful mother, Donna, who is an amazing amazing mom and also a cute awesome nerdy board gamer who raised me to be the dork that I am today um is there anything else you'd like to say you're pointing at yourself aggressively so I feel like yeah I
1: want to say I want to say goodbye world
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's all folks see you next time